This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. There's a song that I grew up with that was written by Jerry Reed and later recorded by Johnny Cash to rise to a number one hit in the early 70s. And it had a very powerful message. And even gospel quartets picked up the song to record the Christian message that the songwriter described. Until recently, I never knew that this song started in secular music. We were taught that all music not recorded by Christian bands was evil. But I'm quickly starting to learn that a great deal of music recorded by other bands has some really good gospel messages in them. Not to mention the tunes, which I'm learning are the basis for some of the cult songs that I grew up with. Credence Clearwater Revival, for instance, sings a song called Midnight Special. And that tune was ripped off by some cult church member to add the words about the message of the hour and to call it a new song. But this song by Jerry Reed has a very solid message, one that Jesus Christ would approve of. And it's called A Thing Called Love. It goes like this. Six foot six, he stood on the ground, weighed 235 pounds, but I saw that giant of a man brought down to his knees by love. He was the kind of man to gamble on luck. He'd look you in the eye and never back up, but I saw him crying like a little whip up because of love. Can't see it with your eyes, hold it in your hand Like wind it covers our land Strong enough to move the heart of any man This thing called love It can lift you up, it can take you down Take your world and turn it all around Ever since time there's nothing been found stronger than love. It's ironic because while this story matches the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit 
and how it will change and make the life of even the most ruthless man. It's very similar to a story that William Branham uses during his self-promotion. But in William Branham's story, the story of how the giant of a man being changed by the Holy Spirit, the key element is missing. Love. In 1952, he says this, Many times I'd be standing on the platform where there may be a hundred thousand people. And the first thing you know, something real bold just rise up in me. And I'd go right on and call that demon, cast it out. And I thought, that's strange. And here I begin to think, many of you has read it in my little book. No doubt all in here, in many instances there. He said, I seen one night at Portland where a demon, oh my, a man weighing 300 pounds about to run to the platform. And he said, well, you hypocrite, <clears throat> said, I'll show you how much man I got. He was an insane man out of the institution. And he ran up to the platform and was about to break my neck. And 500 preachers just fell back from him. <laughs> 500. And he says, and I drew back his arm and said, I'll break every bone in your body. I weighed 128 pounds and him 300. And great deep chest and oh, what a powerful man he was, able to carry out his threats. And right in the midst of it, there was something that moved me. And I walked out there where he was and said, Tonight, I'll break every bone in your frail-looking body, he said. I said, because you have challenged God's Spirit, tonight you'll fall over my feet in the name of the Lord. There was two prophecies made, Branham says. And he rushed forward to me and said, I'll show you whose feet I'll fall over just spit in my face when he come up and drew back his great fist. Just then I said, Satan, come out of the man. And he threw up his arms and screamed and fell across my feet till the police had to come and to pull him off. Now he didn't have any faith in me. He didn't believe in me. 1952, Believing God. Let me repeat the title, Believing God. <laughs> Notice the difference between the two stories. Forget about God. Because this man didn't believe William Branham, Branham smote him to the ground. And in the other story that the Christian received, even from a, a singer who recorded music that the cult would call worldly, love was there. The song, A Thing Called Love, is about a man who would think the world, the world would think is beyond change. A powerful man who would look you in the eye and never back up. But once he had a change of his heart, this giant of a man became like a baby, all because of love. But Branham's story is not about love. It is a story about self-promotion designed to make the listener think that there's some supernatural display of signs and wonders 
in those healing campaigns, which would in turn attract large crowds of curious minds. And the man was unchanged. The focal point of the story was not about converting another soul to Christ. The focal point was how this man seemed like a giant and fell at Branham's feet. Branham had the ultimate power. But in each retelling of the story, every one of them, the man is never saved. In fact, Branham makes sure that the audience knows that there's some big dude laying over his feet that is unsaved with a demon. Listen to how the story ends. He says, Branham says, And when he did, he went, he made a big scream and threw up his hands. His eyes went way out like that. And he fell around till the police had to come and pull him off my feet where he pinned me to the floor. They said, Is that man dead? I said, No. Well, they said, Is he healed? I said, No. It's just God showing his power to make that demon bow to him. Who was he bowing for? Who was he bowing to on the platform? Branham says, that was all. See, he's not dead. That was the Three Witnesses sermon, 1951. Many times throughout his ministry, Branham would tell and retell this story, showing great pride in his ability to conquer giants, as though he were like some David carrying a sling. But like the story in the Bible about David, Branham's story is about war and power over the forces of evil, without the grace and mercy that's given under the new covenant. The man, though falling at Branham's feet, was still unconverted. As time progresses, the story spread throughout different cities in the campaigns, and Branham finally decided to add the aspect of love, but it's nothing like the song that I enjoy. Branham retells the story still with the original power over the forces of evil, but then he adds how he, Branham, not how the man, how Branham found love. He says, now that's when we come to this crisis when sovereign grace steps in. Then something happened in my life that I wish it would if it ever comes again. It'll never leave. And I only wish there was some way I had all the power this morning to project to that group of men and women here and it never leave you. Like the maniac up there in Oregon. When he ran on the platform to kill me, many of you read that book, that I sell, I'm adding that part. Many of you read that book, Something Happened There. You've often wondered, I guess, how those things happened. <clears throat> you often wondered how they happened. It's something, instead of despising the man, that he was there to take my life, a divine law set in for him. And he called me a hypocrite and a snake in the grass. And thousands of people sitting there, and spit in my face and drew back his fist and said, I'll break every bone in your body. People probably sitting here was there, but instead of despising the man, something, grace set in. And in a moment when I needed it, grace sets in and projected a divine love into my heart that I could project to him and thought, there stands a man like the man that I am said he likes to eat and drink with his family, but the devil has him bound. 
<clears throat> so the love of God constrained me, and the man humbled himself and fell across my feet. Grace stepped in when love was projected. Again, even though the story changed, Branham is still the focal point. Not Christ, not even love. Although love is added to the story. In other words, I am the all-powerful, and I can smite people to the ground, but I sure love them when I smite them. <laughs> it's ironic, because in these two examples, the song about how love will change the heart of even the greatest giant, and the story about the all-powerful wizard on the platform, even those who he smite to the ground, <clears throat> it's described in Paul's letter to Galatians, in Galatians 5. In the first part, Paul describes the story given by William Branham, sorcery. He compares it with drunken orgies and idolatry. Paul says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfless ambition, dissensions, factions. Think about that one and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that all those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But examine the description of the acts of the flesh, or worldliness in Paul's description. Factions is exactly the description of the cult itself, creating a faction of people that separate themselves from other Christians. The more obvious sins, such as sexual immorality, remain hidden in the message of William Branham. But if you examine each of these words and the many hidden secrets that are starting to come forth, you'll quickly identify with each of these in the cult, starting with the cult leader himself. And the signs and wonders that are pointed to in this cult are not the fruits of the Spirit that Paul described. Having power to smite down your opponent without saving them is not one of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul speaks about. The next part says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Not to become con conceited, as Paul says, is the key. The definition of conceited is having a high or exaggerated opinion of oneself or one's accomplishments. Take the challenge. Examine any of the sermons that Branham preached in the years leading up to his death, and you'll find a strange and unusual pattern. It's almost like a rhythm that you can hear, like a beating drum in South Africa. Cloud, king sword, halo. Cloud, king sword, halo. Cloud, king sword, halo. These stories, like the giant who fell at Branham's feet, do not point to Jesus Christ. They point to William Branham. 
And if they pointed to Christ, then the cult pastors would not be so upset today after finding out how many times Branham lied about himself and his visions. They would just move on. If Christ were the foundation, they could easily forget about William Branham and continue preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they're preaching the gospel of William Branham. I never really thought about it until putting my thoughts into my favorite song and how different it was from Branham's wizard story. But my favorite chapter in the Bible is very similar to this song. And it's polar opposite from Branham smiting the giant. Immediately after Paul tells the church about the signs that would follow their ministry, such as speaking in tongues, Paul reminds them that there is one body of Christians, all different members of the same body. Not divisions, not promoting separation from other Christians, as these cult leaders declare. Unity. But after all of this, Paul tells them what is most important, and it's love. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I'm a prophet, he says, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he tells us how it is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with what? rejoices with truth. Paul says, Love bears all things, and believes all things, and hopes on all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. And listen to this part, because I think here is where we get hung up. And Paul tells us plainly, he says, As for prophecies, they will pass away. Let me repeat that to any who are in Branham's cult church, who still think these prophecies came to pass. Paul says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I become a man, I gave up these childish ways. What's he talking about here? He's talking about giving up prophecies that have already came to pass. He says, for now we see a, dimly, a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He said, now I know in part that I, what I sh then will know fully, even as I have been fully known. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Again, 1 Corinthians 13. Since Seek Ye the Truth has started, I've had several attacks on my integrity and my sight. 
For several months, mischievous people have tried to bring my website down and even hacked my forum to change the words that many have posted over time. Recently, one pastor decided that he would try to humiliate me by reminding me of past sins, discrediting Christ's work on the cross that placed our sins into a sea of forgetfulness. It took me some time to realize that because of cult programming, they struggle to separate exposing the false prophecy and failed visions from an attack on their integrity and character. You see, once programmed by this and cults like it, the mind is programmed to believe that an attack on your doctrinal beliefs is an attack on you, personally, rather than an exposure so that you turn away from these things to focus on Jesus Christ. The retaliations are strong, and they're strongly increasing now that Seek Ye the Truth has reached over 3,200 cities worldwide. And they can see the massive number of people reading the material on our social websites. Scribd, for instance, has almost 35,000 documents read, while these cult preachers are begging their congregations not to read of the exposure of William Branham's lies and false teaching. And it's just one of the avenues that we take to expose and show others the lies of a man to turn them back to Christ. But these retaliations, they do not align with Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You cannot retaliate in anger against somebody using perfect love. Think of how that sounds. I'm going to insult you greatly because I love you. They do not align with the song that I love about a man whose heart was changed after learning the power of love. Love changes a person from the inside, making them a new person. But these attacks do not align with Branham's unchristian story of how he smote another human to the ground, unsaved. That's the kind of Christians that these legalistic, controlling cults breed. Christians that want to smite others down. Wouldn't you rather serve a God of love rather than a God of hate? Wouldn't you rather believe the Jesus Christ of the Bible that loved even this man who challenged William Branham? If he didn't also lie about that story, of course. If you were trying to convert another person from Buddhism to Christianity, do you think it would do it by telling them of how your sorcerer smote people to the ground. Don't you think it would have much more effect if you showed <coughs> if you told them how William Branham instead showed the man Christ? If I were a pastor in the Branham cult and I knew that most of William Branham's stories were completely fabricated anyway, and I also didn't care that I was promoting lies from behind the pulpit, I'd change this story just a little bit. I would change it to match Paul's letters and the song, A Thing Called Love. I would tell people instead how Branham told the giant of Jesus Christ. How as Branham told the entire gospel of Jesus Christ to the man, he did fall to the ground, but he fell to his knees. <clears throat> and William Branham, in this new story, was right there beside him on his knees. Branham was not so prideful that he stood over the man like a sorcerer. 
I would tell my congregations that Branham was so unselfish that he didn't mind dirtying his trousers to lead this poor giant to Jesus Christ. If, of course, I could tell these fabricated stories from behind the pulpit knowing that God was my judge, that's how I would tell it. I would certainly never play any of these tapes with the story as it is. I would be afraid that some poor soul in my congregation would be turned away from Christianity. Why would I want to serve a God that did not love people? Why follow a leader that smote people to the ground? If I were a pastor in cult churches, I would rather tell others about Jesus Christ, how God sent His only Son to the world because He loved us so much, how God knew that we were all sinners destined to die, how without Christ we would have all been smote to the ground with the fury and wrath that we deserved. I tell them how Christ suffered, and how Christ died on the cross for us, and how He conquered death, hell, and the grave, so that we will never taste its fury. I would tell them how He rose again, so that we will now rise to meet Him in the kingdom. And I'd tell them how that kingdom was filled, just filled, with sinners just like me. Sinners who deserve death, that Christ saved us from. Giants who had a change of heart by perfect love. And little guys who surrendered their lives to the Lord. I would describe the heaven of the Bible, not where all Christians are condemned except for the little bride, where all Christians that believe in Jesus Christ are saved by grace through faith. It's a different heaven. <clears throat> I would teach them that all who believe in Christ are welcome, and I wish that we had more pastors who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe out of the masses that are quickly starting to exit this cult, maybe new pastors will stand up and tell others about Jesus, since their old pastors have seemingly forgotten. This is my hope and my prayer.